Welcome back to Views from ETC Venues. This is your host, Caleb Parker, and today we're going to be chatting with Nick, the COO of ETC Venues. Nick, um, you know, we don't know each other yet. We've just met, um, but uh, I'm really excited to have a chat with you and hear about your background. Um, but before we jump into that, um, I'm, I'm just more curious, like, wh wh where are you from in the UK and what do you do outside of this professional life? So, Caleb, uh, good afternoon. Great to be here and uh, th thanks for chatting to me. Um, in terms of where I'm from, I'm London-born and bred. Um, I've, uh, I've lived in London all of my life uh, since my uh, parents came back from the US and they base themselves here in London. So again, I uh, London through and through. Um, but I spend time when I'm not uh, in the office with uh, my family. I've got two uh, very young children, uh, but my passion outside of uh, the family is, is kite surfing. Kite surfing. That's my absolute passion in life. So although I'm born and bred in London, I spend a lot of time down on the south coast waiting for the wind to blow so I can get out on... Uh, out on the ocean. Right. So uh, it, is, that, is that something you've done since you were a child? Yeah, so I started kite surfing um, probably 10, 12 years ago. But before that, I used to windsurf for about 10 okay. years prior to that. So, as the What is the difference between windsurfing and kite surfing? So wind, windsurfing is where you're, you're, you're standing on a board and the sail is attached or fixed to that board. Whereas kite surfing, you're using a, a kite that's probably some 25, 30 meters away from you using what would be described as a weight board. Okay. Um, so sim similar sports, got to understand the wind, but uh, um, you get a chance to kite surf much more often than you windsurf, and it's probably easier to learn, which is why I then shifted in that direction. So I have, I have a more pressing business question for you. Mm. You recently joined ETC Venues, mm -hmm. I understand, right? Yes, that's right. Um, what, when, when did you join? So I joined uh, the business back in June 2018, Okay. Um, but I've got some previous history. Uh, Almost me. a year now. Yeah, so coming up for a year, um, but uh, as I said, I've got previous history to that where I, um, I used to uh, be an, a consultant with Accenture, uh, the global consulting firm. And so actually my very first ever day of work um, was actually at Accenture Venues uh, in one of our um, uh, sites near near Chancery Lane, Hatton Garden, yep. um, where I did my Accenture training program there. Um, so again, I feel as though I, I've started my career at Accenture, Come circle then. And, I'm, and I'm still here. Um, <laughs> interesting, in, in addition to that, actually, having been at Accenture, I then joined a private equity company. Um, and we actually invested in Accenture Venues from 2006 to 2012. Um, so again, I sat on the board of the business um, from 2007 to 2012 where actually I got to know Alistair and the, and the wider team before we then exited the business. And then um, the subsequent private equity firm continued to grow the business. Uh, and then the, the opportunity arose for me to, uh, to come back and join the business. That is interesting. That you, you, I've talked to a lot of people in the events industry, and you don't, you, you don't meet people that have joined a company that's been involved with the company in so many different ways. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one, having been a client when I was at Accenture, uh, an investor when I was uh, with the private equity company, um, and then um, ultimately uh, an operator since uh, having joined. So I actually left um, Dunedin. I gave myself, um, gave myself 18 months to go and find a, a, an opportunity to invest in a company, and I had a call from Alistair, our managing director, in February 2018, so just uh, about a month and a half later to say that there was potentially an opportunity coming up, um, really exciting opportunity within the business where there was going to be new investors coming in, uh, opportunity to take the model to the US. Um, he was going to be pioneering that, that US expansion and therefore there was a, a need for someone to come in and help run the UK business and would I be interested? And as much as I sort of sat there saying, be patient, only go for the right opportunity, the opportunity was too good to be true and hence I then 
uh, work with Alistair in the run-up to um, securing the investment in, in June, uh, which is at which point I formally joined the business and have been here ever since. Has your perspective changed about the business now that you're under the hood, so to speak? It's a really interesting question because, I, you know, within private equity, you obviously look very, very closely to a huge amount of diligence on a business before you buy it. And I think my overarching sense is that um, the diligence and the work and the perspective I had as an, as an investor weren't actually nearly positive enough about the business. Having been on the inside and understanding uh, the amount of um, uh, data and access and control that we've got in the business, the growth opportunities, the scalability of the model, the quality of the team, um, the, the passion really within the business for you know, the, the key drivers of what we do, whether it's the, the food, the technology, the service, um, providing you know, interesting uh, environments for people to learn and, and, and um, uh, so collaborate. So, so now as, as the COO, you have line level access to the business. You, you're looking at the numbers probably mm -hmm. daily, weekly. Um, how, how healthy is ETC Venues? Well, okay, we're, in a, we're in a great place and um, please say actually the business has been in a great place for a very long period of time. Um, when I was involved previously, we saw the business um, uh, grow by about two and a half times, both top line and bottom line. Um, then under the next um, private equity ownership, again, uh, we, saw, um, we saw profitability almost treble. Uh, and we find ourselves seeing good year-on-year -year growth at the moment. So last year, uh, we posted accounts of um, about 60 million of uh, turnover, and that's, that's sterling. So again, we've seen fantastic growth from when I was originally involved, when the business was probably turning over 9 million, making 2 million of profit. We can see that you know, really very impressive, uh, steady growth throughout, throughout the, the life of the business. And what's the team looking like these days? You, you, um, you've obviously seen the team grow as the mm -hmm. locations grew. What's the staff count? So the staff count at the moment is, is close to 250 people who are our permanent employees. Um, but importantly, we also have a, uh, a talent pool who we call um, casual employees, and we have a similar number of them. So the, the full et cetera team uh, will be close to 500 people. Wow. Well, that's going to, I guess, go up with, with the latest news uh, yes, indeed. in New York, yeah. which is one of the reasons you're excited on coming Well, I, th I think New York represents a fantastic opportunity. I think there's a, there's a, there's a great market out there which is, which is largely un, untapped, which we can really try and take advantage of. I think in terms of um, moving to the US, is that trying to hedge our bets against Brexit? Absolutely not. Um, we've got a fantastic model here in the UK, and there's, a, there's an opportunity that's um, too good to be true over in, in the States, where we can pick up what is a very effective, successful, highly profitable model and move it across the Atlantic into New York to start with, um, and really take advantage of a, of a market which is, which, is, which is very large, but we think is relatively underserved at the moment. And where it is served, we're going to be competing mainly against hotels, which is what we've been very successful over here in the UK to do, which is to ex sort of extol the virtues to our clients of being an absolutely laser-focused provider of venues rather than trying to be all things to all men. And by having that laser focus, that's why we, we, we're sort of exponents in, in this particular sector. Well, when I had a chat with Alistair and, and Marg in previous episodes, mm. they touched on this and uh, um, we talked about how there's a lot of hotels that are some of the best in the world in New York and you're going to be competing against them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you don't, you don't see that as a, as, as a big challenge. Once people see the offering that we've got versus some of those hotels, it's about finding those customers 
But I think once they see what we do, I don't think we'll have a problem converting them. And you're already hosting uh, how many meetings here in the UK already? So we host about 19,000 events uh, here in the UK. So we, we, um, we host about 900,000 delegates. Uh, every year here in the UK. So that's about 10% of the population of London, or <laughs> if you look at it another way, it's actually the, the population of almost, well, just over Liverpool. So, oh, I mean, we've got right. a huge throughput of delegates here, and um, we, we enjoy um, fantastic sort of repeat business from our, from our customers. So we have about 70% repeat business. And again, when I, when I think about the states, you know, once we've got that customer base and they understand what we do, and we're 100% we're focused on that, which is why we think we'll be the best at it, we think we'll, we'll generate similar levels of repeat business over there. So it's just about fostering those or, or finding those customers uh, and then being able to service them. Um, we have an unapologetically simple model, uh, but that's why we think it works, because it's repeatable and scalable. And you can only really do that if you've got a clear focus as to exactly what it is you want to do. If you want to be really good at something, pick a, pick a small area and be the best at it. So, so then for the planners who are listening today that are in New York and they're been hosting events for mm -hmm. years in New York um, at hotels or existing uh, solutions, uh, existing venues. W what do you say to them? W why, should, why should they give you a shot? Well, I think it comes back to being um, a, a specific product for a specific um, challenge, which no doubt all the, all the meeting planners are, are, are faced with, which is how do we find environments and venues which our delegates want to go to, which are conducive to learning, have got um, the foster environment of where people are going to collaborate and actually be inspired to really get away from their existing offices, getting to get into a venue which is comfortable, uh, which is specifically designed for the purpose of meeting, collaborating, learning, inspiring each other. And I don't, just don't think that really exists at the moment. You know, if you go to a to a hotel uh, to do that, you're probably going to be in a, a windowless room. Um, yeah, the coffee is going to be lukewarm. Um, the, the food's going to be um, stodgy and you're probably going to fall asleep in the afternoon. For us, we think about every single aspect of that, the design of the venue. How do we make it work for the presenter as well as the audience? How do we make sure that the, the design is interesting, interactive? How do we make sure the technology works seamlessly so the presenter's not worried about, you know, will, will the projector or the audiovisual work? You know, and then the food, which is just such an important part of what we do. How do we make sure that we've got food that people, one, are going to enjoy, and two, actually doesn't make them fall asleep? And it sounds like a, a flippant comment, but you know, half the days after lunch, and if people are, are, are falling asleep in the chairs, you're not going to get the value out of the conference you want. Our clear vision is to take the existing model, which has been incredibly successful, and move it across the Atlantic. So do I think we'll be able to just pick it up and drop it in New York? Absolutely not. I think we'll be able to pick up a huge amount of the model, but we're going to have to, um, we're going to, have to embed it, think about the nuances, the cultural differences, the way in which um, you know, the, 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 the New York market operates. And, and, and adapt to that and really and, and change quickly and listen to our customers' feedback to make sure that we're giving them what they want. So I think we've got a great chance, but there are going to be plenty of challenges, I'm sure. So if we, if we look into the crystal ball, um, which is not a crystal ball for you probably because mm. it's a strategy, but if we look ahead into the future, the next two, three, four, five years, New York, Manhattan, yes. mm -hmm. uh, do you see that city being equal in terms of the amount of business you're doing to, uh, to London? Yeah, I mean, we've, got, we've got a pretty clear sort of phase strategy as to how we're going to roll out uh, into New York. Um, and it'll be, it'll be a sort of three-phased approach um, that will work over the next three years. Um, will it be the same size as London after three years? I don't think so. But I think it will rapidly get to the same size as London um, pretty shortly thereafter. 
partly because the size of the market is, 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 is greater over there. And we, we're starting, I think, with a slightly less competitive um, uh, landscape. Um, so, you know, I can easily see in, you know, four, four years' time that we have a, a similar size business in New York as we do London. But that depends whether we decide to go elsewhere as well. Um, you know, here in London, we've benefited from the density, or what I think of as density, i.e. venues being close together, you know, the ability to, to cross-sell. Um, and in New York, I think that's probably a similar strategy that we'll follow. You, you mentioned earlier New York to start. Are you already looking at other markets? Well, I think, I think uh, it's, it's always important to have a, sort of, uh, a, a vision that is wider than just the, the strategy that you're after. Um, you know, and there's, n there's no reason why this model couldn't be applied much wider than New York uh, and then you know, to, to other U.S. cities, but then again, whether it's outside North America, in, into pretty, every, pretty much every continent. But I think, again, coming back to concentrating on, a, on one strategy, executing it, and then moving on is probably the, the, the way to achieve success rather than um, perhaps going too wide too quickly, L again, losing that focus and then probably um, ramping up on the, on, the, on the risk profile. So, Nick, are you going to be going over to New York with the team? So I'll, I'll be spending a fair amount of time in New York. I mean, my, my main focus will be here in the UK, but certainly going backwards and forwards across to, to, to New York to, uh, to be with the team. So we're going to see you kite surfing on the Hudson soon. Yeah, probably, probably in the summertime rather than the wintertime. <laughs> otherwise, I need a very thick wetsuit. Maybe some ice skating in the wintertime. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, great. Nick, thanks for joining me. Good luck to you. Thank and you very much. Looking forward to doing another interview with you in a year. Great. Sounds good. Thanks, Caleb. Thank you for joining us today. And until next time, take care of yourself.